You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. All right, Thanksgiving is upon us. I want us to focus in now. Make sure if you're, uh, you have your cell phones, put those on silent. And I uh, want us to be able to focus in here. I appreciate the holiday. I appreciate the spirit of thanks that it encourages. I always love our Thanksgiving service. And I love hearing the testimonies and praises from the church. Because we have so much to be thankful for. So much to be thankful for. We are so blessed. God is so good to us. And uh, wasn't it enough for God to send his son to die for us? That was enough. And yet with every day, he gives us more and more. And it doesn't matter how bad things may get in your life. Everything may be going wrong. Everyone may be forsaking you. Uh, But when you are saved, there's always good because there's always God. When you look for good, you will always find God. And where God is, good is every single time. There's nothing good in our life that didn't come from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And that's why we can always be thankful, because God is always good. But tonight, I want us to dig just a little bit deeper. I'm not going to say anything that you haven't heard before, but I'd like to give just a, a different perspective on it, if I could. I want us to dig a little deeper, and I will say that if you do not have an imagination, this, this service isn't really going to hit home with you. Uh, you're going to need to have an imagination. Uh, is, there, is there a child? Could we, do you mind if we take her out into the foyer or him out into the foyer? I just want us to be able to focus. I'm so sorry. Um, so how many of you have an imagination? How many of you have an imagination, you think? A weird imagination to the point where, yeah, okay, all right. So then you'll be just fine. I need you to follow along with me here. But here's what I'm trying to bring out, church. It's, it's easy to be thankful for the good. But what about the bad? It's easy to be thankful for the understandable. But what about the mysterious? Or the incomprehensible? It's easy to be thankful when the skies of life are clear, but what about when the storms come? And Okay, no more fancy phrases and everything, let's just be honest. Uh, It felt easier to be thankful in 2019. What about 2020? Now we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. You're a Wednesday or Tuesday night crowd. Uh, So I know that you know that. But tonight, let's just look this year right in the face, okay? There has been good throughout this year because God is still God. And when God is still God, God is still good. But there's been a lot of hard throughout this year. There's been a lot of struggle throughout this year. There's been a lot of heartache throughout this year. We've questioned more than we've questioned in other years. We've wrestled. Against God's will, we've wrestled with flesh and blood. We've wrestled with questions. We've, we've cried a lot this year. We've wondered within our hearts and even out loud, have you, ever, have you asked this question this year, what is going on with 2020? Just what every day, <laughs> Brother Keith? 
What is this year all about? And I wish to use this story in 1 Samuel to answer that question. Now, I am thankful, church, that you've done a wonderful job. You've done a wonderful job. I think you have taken this year in stride, and you've done your best to go forward with the gospel. There are churches that are just struggling. They're struggling right now. And God has been good to us. We're seeing people saved. We're seeing people baptized and joining the church. That's because of your faithfulness. And before we get all proud about that, we have no faithfulness that God doesn't give us the grace to have. But I want to answer this question, if any of us still have it. What is going on this year? What is it all about? And I'm preaching on the subject, thank God for bears and lions. And I think with giving that title, you're going to know where I'm going in just a little bit. But thank God for bears and lions. Let's pray. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would please be with us and Holy Spirit, move freely. Speak to hearts as I can only speak to ears. And I ask this in your name. Amen. I want you to come with me here to the battlefront in the Valley of Elah. And this is where your imagination is going to need to come into play, okay? So I want you to see the Israelite army up on a mountain. Now, if you look up the Valley of Elah, it's not like a Mount Everest type thing. It's a, it's a hill. It's got, it's got some steepness to it. Um, but I want you to picture the Israelite army there on that one side of the valley. Smoke is rising from the fires within the camps. The tents are lining the mountainside. You can hear the conversation of the soldiers within the camp. You hear the flapping of the tents and the flags and the breeze. Right across the valley, within eyesight of the Israelite camp, you have the Philistines. And for 40 days, for 40 days, these armies have been in a standstill. Not because they're so equally matched. Not because one is drawing up terms of peace with the other. But because the Philistine army knows they have such an advantage over the Israelite army in this blatant act of harassment and mockery, for 40 days and 40 nights, they have basically dared Israel to make a move. And this is the catch. Israel could only send one man. Send one man to fight our champion. And the winner takes all. That's the catch. And look at the reaction in verse 11. 1 Samuel 17, verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Look in verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Now wait a moment here. Here's where we usually laugh and say, what a bunch of wimps. But no, 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 no. These are soldiers that we're talking about. This is Saul that we're talking about. And if you want to know what kind of men we're talking about, look in chapter 14, verse 52. Look in chapter 14, verse 52. And there was sore war against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when, oh, I turned way too many. 
And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him unto him. In other words, none of the soldiers in Saul's army looked like me. These were strong men. These were valiant men. These were men that none of you would mess with. Saul was strong enough to stick a spear into a stone wall, for goodness sake. But when these men see Goliath, they're sore afraid. They took a one-way trip on the Nope train straight to Nopeville. Nope, I am not going to fight with him. One day Saul stands up and he says, Whoever kills Goliath, I will enrich you with great riches. And he had the riches to back that up. And they all looked back at him and said, Nope. So maybe another day he stands up and he says, Whoever kills Goliath, I will not only enrich you with great riches, I will also give you my daughter's hand in marriage. Now I'm going to assume that the daughter wasn't a troll. But even if she was the most beautiful girl in the world, suddenly she doesn't look so good to these soldiers. I don't care how good looking she is. Nope. I am not. But even if she was, you know, whatever. Forget about what she looked like. This was a position in the royal family that we're talking about. And every single one of these strong, valiant men look at riches and Saul's daughter and a place in royal family, and they look at Goliath and go, nope, I'm good. So then Saul comes up and he says, I will enrich you with great riches. You will also get my daughter's hand in marriage, and I will make your father's house free in the land. Now, one of the taunts, if you look just a little bit earlier, one of the taunts that Goliath gave to the Israelite army was, ye are servants of Saul. And he's basically telling them, like, you, what do you have to lose to fight me? If you win, we'll be your servants. No more slave labor for you because you have all the Philistines to be your slaves now. So what do you have to lose? If you win, we'll be your servants. But if you lose, you'll just be our servants instead of Saul's. And in many ways, they were Saul's servants. There were taxes to be paid. There was mandatory military fees and responsibilities that needed to be filled. And whenever the king came up and said, I want this, you gave it to him. And Saul says, all of that is going to be lifted. Your house will be free. Your father's house will be free. And this applies to your descendants as well. But these men are so afraid of Goliath. Goliath is so big. He's so threatening. He's so ridiculously frightening. And then on top of that, I want you to think of the fear that came along with the pressure of answering this call and saying, I'll fight him because if you lose, everybody loses. Your family becomes the family of the guy who thought that he could beat an unbeatable person, and that's why the Philistines have taken over. So all of that to say, these men weren't wimps. And yet every single one of them said, absolutely not. And if they said no, I'm guessing we would have said no. But then here comes David, this kid, teenager. People think 17 years old. And he takes one look at this monster of a man. He hears, he just gives one listen to his blasphemous words. And without hesitation, says, I'll fight him. Now, here's where we can make a mistake. 
And it's the mistake that the Israelite army made with David. Now, what I'm trying to do with my children, I'm trying to train them up in the way that they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. I am having them watch good, wholesome shows, the shows that I used to watch growing up, Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Tasmanian Devil. Um, and one of them is Scooby-Doo. Now, you have to watch some of those, but Scooby-Doo. And do you remember Scrappy-Doo? Do you remember Scrappy-Doo at all? Nobody remembers Scrappy-Doo? It was Scooby-Doo's nephew, and he was, he's about this tall, right? And Scooby-Doo's obviously big, but Scrappy, and Scooby-Doo's scared of everything, but all Scrappy-Doo would say, let me at him, let me at him, let me at him, and Scooby-Doo was always trying to get him out of trouble because he would just run, let me at him, puppy power, all that stuff. So people imagine David like this little kid, well, just let me at him. But what does Saul do when he looks at him? What does Saul say to him? He says, kid, you've got no clue what you're getting into here. You've got absolutely no idea what you're talking about. You're going to fight him? Thou art but a youth. He was a man of war from his youth. You've got spirit, kid. But thou art not able to go against the Philistine and fight against him. What does his brother say? I know the pride and the arrogance of thine heart. You cocky little punk. You show up, we've been here for 40 days, and you show up and you think you're going to fight this guy. Now, to those soldiers, David, David's confidence was based in complete ignorance and arrogance. He just didn't know what he was talking about. He overestimated himself. That's what they were thinking. David, you are overestimating yourself, and you are underestimating what it means to fight somebody who is twice your size, at least twice your size. I can picture David hearing the laughter. I can picture him seeing Saul's smirk. I can picture him looking around and seeing his brother's disgust and their embarrassment that he's, their brother is standing before the king saying he's going to fight Goliath. But then I can see David calmly begin to speak. Thy servant kept his father's sheep. So let me tell you a couple stories, O king. Church, we have to stop reading the Bible like it's a fairy tale. I know we just went through Song of Solomon and it seems like a fairy tale, but we have to stop reading the Bible like it's a fairy tale. The stories that David is about to tell actually happened. In fact, one day in heaven, you might hear these stories from David's lips yourself. I want us to imagine what David is thinking as he's keeping his father's sheep. He's the low man on the totem pole. His older brothers got all the good chores. It's like not being there on Monday at school where they pick all the jobs for the week. You are either table cleaner or uh, something else. But you never got to be line leader. You never got to be anything. You always had to be table cleaner. His job was to watch the sheep. Such a low job that when Samuel comes looking for a king, is there any other child? Uh, I mean, there's the shepherd boy, you know? And one day he's out in the pastures. Are you using your imagination? One day he's out in the pastures. He's minding his own business, just simply doing what his father has told him to do. And out of the woods comes a lion. Now, here's where the critic says, oh, it was a baby lion. OK, time out. There's always critics, and they say, oh, the Red Sea where the Israelites crossed was only a foot deep. Well, that's an even greater miracle, because then God drowned the entire Egyptian army in a foot of water. 
But this one here, they say, oh, it was a baby lion. He just basically went up and, no. <laughs> yes, a baby lion stole a sheep. But then also, I'll, I'll show you, even though this kind of gives it away. Look in, look in chapter 16, verse 18. Look in chapter 16, verse 18. This is when Saul has the evil spirit upon him, right? And they say, hey, king, why don't you search out a, a young man that's cunning and playing? And they say, hey, we know about this young man. He's the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, and he's cunning and playing. And then what, is, what do they say about him? A mighty, valiant man. Now, how do you think he got that reputation? By killing a baby lion? Killing Winnie the Pooh? A lion comes out of the woods. This is a full-grown male lion because he says, I caught him by the beard. <laughs> All right, David, you know. This is a full-grown male lion. Now, I, I wasn't there. But I'm guessing David's thoughts were something along the lines of, you have got to be kidding me. And wouldn't you know it, the lion comes right up and takes a lamb out of his father's flock. Now, what is the one thing that his dad told him? Son, you better have as many sheep at night than when you went out with in the morning. Now, if I'm David, do you know what I'm thinking? <laughs> when a lion takes a sheep, well, it's too bad. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> Sorry to tell you this, but you lost a sheep today. This kid runs after a full-grown lion, and his words, his words, I smote him and delivered the lamb out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, whoa. So now the lion's coming against you. You know what I'm doing at that point? You can have your sheep back. Enjoy. Would you like some mint jelly? I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Oh, but wait. There's more. Another day, David's just out minding his own business, out in the pastures, just doing what his father told him to do, not looking for trouble. And over the hill comes a bear. Come on. What, what are the odds? Just leave, me just leave me alone. All I'm trying to do is watch my sheep here. Don't do it. Don't do it. He did it. Again, he takes the lamb out of the flock. Well, what does David do? Well, I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. Here's what I'm trying to bring out here, okay? David was a human like we are. He had emotions. He had frustrations. So put any one of us in David's sandals out there in the pasture. And when a lion shows up, what would you be thinking? God, this is a joke, right? This is a joke. There is no way that a lion is coming to take one of my sheep. Okay, yep, a lion just took one of my sheep. And sometime later, there's more rustling in the trees. Seriously? Seriously? A bear? A bear now. And I looked up between a fight between a bear and a lion. Who would win? And they say a bear would win. I, I don't know. <laughs> but here's the question. In a fight between you and a lion, who would win? And you and a bear, who would win? And I'm guessing he's thinking, what in the world is going on? I don't understand any of this. First a lion, now a bear. Lord, what's next? 
What's next? And you know what I think? And it's all coming home now. I think when David saw that giant for the first time, I think he thought, aha, God, I get it. He's next. I don't know if David understood the lion and the bear before that day in the Valley of Elah, but I know on that day he was thankful that he had faced them before. Because without the bear and the lion, I think he would have reacted the same way as the other soldiers reacted. He's too big, he's too strong, he's too fast, that's too ridiculous. But because God brought David a lion and a bear, he was able to say, not with arrogance, but with confidence, and not with ignorance, but with experience, thy servant both slew the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. And I especially love what he says in verse 37. Look at what he says in verse 37. The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. I circled one, two, three, four, five, six words in that verse. I circled the Lord that delivered will deliver. The Lord that delivered will deliver. We will never be able to say that without some bears and lions. Situations that you may not understand right away, adversities that come when you're just minding your own business, just trying to do what's right, just obeying what your father told you to do, obstacles that you could walk away from, but the Lord doesn't let you go. And instead, you, 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 you know, I have got to face this head on. And with God's help, you find victory over those things. You find victory over the bear. You find victory over the lion and all those situations. And one day you will say, Lord God, thank you for the bears and for the lions. You know why? Because they prepare you for the giants. You will face some bears and lions in your life. You'll have to face some lions of conversations. Conversations that you just don't want to have. You'll have to make some bears of decisions. You'll have to hear some lions of diagnoses. You'll face some bears of losses and heartbreak. You'll meet some lion-like obstacles. And at that moment, you can either say, oh, well, one last sheep, I guess. Or you face it head on. Trusting that God has brought it in your life to make you stronger. Trusting that one day you may face a giant. And in that day, you'll truly be able to say, God, I understand the lion now. I understand the bear now. And you delivered me from them. You'll deliver me from this. Now, you can't say that if he isn't your savior. The Lord doesn't work in the life of people who aren't his child. This world is filled with religious people, filled with good people. As much as the news media wants to make it seem the opposite way, there are good people in the world who don't just run and kill people because of differences of opinion. 
Most people are level-headed. But religious people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. You have to trust in Jesus as your Savior. And I'm not just talking about putting Jesus on the shelf along with church attendance and giving to charity and doing all these different things. No, you clear the shelf off and you put Jesus and you put Jesus alone. Have you done that in your life? I'm not asking if you believe in Jesus. Even the devils believe and tremble. Is he your personal savior? Because that's when he begins working your life. He can't grow you as a Christian if you've never been born. You must be born again. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we'll show you. Someone showed me when I was 12, and it changed my life forever. And we'll show you as well. Church, this has been a lion and a bear of a year. Pastor, are you saying 2021 could be even worse? It is entirely possible. Happy Thanksgiving. For some of you, it has been your giant of a year. But do you know why you're still standing? Because you've learned it doesn't matter how big the problem, the Lord that delivered will deliver. In church, it's easy to thank God for the green pastures and the still waters, but when's the last time you thanked him for the bears and the lions? They prepare you for giants. Face those adversities head on. Don't run from them. Someday God may just let us kill a giant, and when giants fall, the world takes notice. When giants fall, the saints are encouraged most importantly, when giants fall, God is glorified. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.